I am so glad that you're with us tonight, and thanks for joining us online uh, for our study in the Gospel of Mark. But now let me say, I endeavor, even though we're going through Mark verse by verse, I really work hard to make sure each message is a standalone. So if you miss a message, don't feel like you shouldn't listen, because each message, well, there's, there's, there's just a word for us in every passage. And of course, I hope that, like Keith just encouraged you, you'll go back and listen to the other messages as well. Well, tonight's just a very short five scriptures, short five verses. And I had kind of hoped, and I always hoped this when I start a new book of the Bible, like when I did Romans or when I did Genesis or Revelation or any of the other books. I'm like, I really would like to be able, for the sake of everybody coming, to do a quick scan and maybe one sermon per chapter. My most boring classes when I was studying for the ministry were the survey classes because we just went through so quickly and there was so much more to learn. So that comes through in my study, my writing, and my preaching. I thought, well, I'll get the rest of chapter one tonight. But these five verses are so powerful, I just had to write a whole message for this one. Now, in these short five verses, you've got to think about this. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to see the crowds. You're going to see heaven torn open. You're going to see angels. You're going to see uh, the, the enemy, the devil fighting. So, I mean, these are five power packed verses. Billy Graham said, talking about the angels, he said, we're surrounded by angelic presence and we need to remind ourselves that the angels totally overshadow and conquered all demonic powers. Somebody asked me earlier this week about that. And I said, you know, we live post-Calvary. Christ has conquered all. And then Judge Anton Scalia, do you remember the Supreme Court Justice Anton Scalia? I have an interview with him with New York Magazine from back in 2013, and they were asking him about his faith, and they were asking him about different things, and one of the questions was about the devil. And Judge Scalia looked at them and says, you're looking at me like I'm weird because I believe in the devil. He said, my God, have you, are you so out of touch with American mainstream that most people believe in a real devil? He said, yes, I believe that the devil is real. I believe that he's defeated. And he said, people much smarter than you and me believe in the devil. And he said, but the thing you need to know is Christ conquered and Christ overcame him. So all of this is right here in this passage tonight. And I hope you're just ready to dig into this with me. You know, if you're watching on my page, you can go to our app, which is uh, woodland.church, and you can download the notes, or you can download our app from the App Store for Apple or Android, and you can just follow along with the notes right there tonight, and I hope you will as well. Well, let's go to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart. Literally, it means torn apart. He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled, that word could be driven, he drove him. The Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days and he was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Join me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this word that is settled once and for all in eternity. Thank you for these five verses, for they're much more than, Lord, a historical story. 
God, they're the story of our lives as well. They're the story of the second Adam who defeated the wicked one, Lord. And I pray that we will learn the lessons from our Savior as he submitted to baptism and why he was baptized, and Lord, as he conquered in the wilderness as well. We ask for your help, and Lord, if anything seems to be unclear to someone tonight, I pray that they'll just send me an email, or they'll ask someone even smarter than me, Lord, that will help them understand. But God, tonight, let us be encouraged as we read this passage, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Mark, as you've noticed already, writes totally different. We looked at this last week. He's fast. He's quick. These are 16 powerful chapters, more miracles recorded in the book of Mark than in the other Gospels. You've also noticed by this time, Mark is not interested in giving you the pedigree of Jesus. He doesn't tell you anything about his, the miraculous prophecies of his birth. He doesn't tell you anything about the uh, heavenly stars and a star that guided visitors from a foreign land. He doesn't tell you any of the things that Matthew and Luke will tell you. He doesn't even give you the, the lineage of Jesus. It will be Mark 6 before you see anything about the biography of Jesus at all in the story. It's not because Mark is uninformed, as we looked at last week, Mark was taught by Peter. Mark was listening to Peter preach. He knew these things about Jesus. Also, when he starts, he just simply says this about Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Now, if you look at your Old Testament, the city or the town of Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not that Nazareth is not there. It's just it's such an important little town. How many of you have ever heard of a town called Lazella, Georgia? Not many people at all. Lazella is a small little town that's right outside of my hometown where my mother lives and where my sister and her husband lives. How many of you ever heard of a town called Hehira, Georgia? You heard of Hehira because of a song called... <laughs> so it's a old Ray Stevens song. And, of course, I lived just south of Hayhira when that song came out. And um, I could name you a couple of other songs where Hayhira gets mentioned. Nazareth was one of these backwater towns. And if you were from Nazareth, it was probably like being from Hayhira or Lizella. You didn't have the best exposure to things. Jesus just did not cut a very striking and imposing figure. Remember, all the attention is upon John. We looked at that last week. He's preaching the gospel. He's baptizing. People have come from Jerusalem, religious scholars, politic politicians. They've come not to see Jesus, but to see John. And Jesus is able to walk right through the crowd and come to John. And according to Mark, John's the only one that recognizes Jesus. He is his cousin. If President Biden was to walk through uh, our community tonight, people would recognize him. If, if Bono was to walk through our community, people would recognize him because they're such popular figures. But Jesus was able to walk right up. Things are going to change drastically after this. There will be crowds following him. But what you want to see tonight is at this point, Jesus had not captured the attention of the crowds. He hadn't captured the attention of anybody. John the Baptist has. But this passage is all about Jesus. Now, there's enough dropped here. Remember, 
These are Roman Christians that are reading. We talked about this last week. These are Roman Christians that are reading this. These are Roman Christians that are being persecuted. These are Roman Christians that are going to be thrown to the wild animals. Later we'll read about that in another epistle that we'll do a series on, uh, hopefully in the next couple of years, where they were literally torn apart by wild animals. But at this time, this passage is all about Jesus, and Roman Christians would have captured immediately because there's enough tips in here that people would have understood and known. And here's the deal. We read this sometimes and we miss so much because we are basically illiterate of the Bible compared to what Jewish people were and Christian people were. Remember, the first Christians were primarily Jewish. It was the textbook for children. It was the textbook for teenagers. It was the textbook for adults. And they wrote commentary after commentaries. You've heard of the Midrash. They were constantly studying and parsing out things. Sometimes when I'm with some of my friends who are Jewish and I'll ask a question, many times they'll say to me, well, according to the Midrash or according to the teaching of some of the scribes, they know this stuff and they know all the symbolism that is there. And the early church met constantly, and they got a little discouraged for a while. If you remember in Hebrews, Paul says, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You know, there is this, there's this, there's this call for us from the beginning of time that we're together in prayer. Life centered around Scripture. Life for the early church, life for the Jewish people centered around Scripture. Now, if I was to say, have it, this was an old, old one, have it your way, what company am I talking about? Burger King. Not Burger Queen, but Burger King. If I was to whistle, can anybody whistle for me the Andy Griffith tune? Do you know that tune? If I was to start whistling, you'd know that tune, right? We are, well, here's a couple of people whistling already. That's good. Thank you. I trust you. Here's the thing. We know television themes. We know advertising jingles because we're surrounded and immersed in that. And a few weeks ago, I brought out would that we knew our scriptures this way. And somebody said in this room that's here again tonight says, well, we're, we constantly hear that. Well, it's incumbent upon you and I to immerse ourselves in the Scripture and to center our lives in the Scripture so that we become familiar with it all. According to Charles Spurgeon, Jesus was the center of all the Scriptures. Jesus was the center of all the Scriptures. One of my favorite songs that we sing here is Jesus at the center of it all. So let's look at this tonight. Jesus submitted to baptism for God's plan and purpose for the world. Jesus submitted to baptism for God's plan and purpose for the world. There's no real explanation of it. It's just that Jesus wanted to make himself available. Not, he wasn't being baptized to repent of sin. People often ask me, it's probably one of the most asked questions I get. People ask me, especially at Advent when we read some of these scriptures, why was Jesus baptized if he had never sinned? This was a baptism for repentance. He presents himself, and I'll bring that out a little more as we go further along. He presents himself to do the will of God. He's baptized at the Jordan River because the Jordan River is a symbol of risk. In the Bible, when you cross the Jordan River, you're leaving the wilderness and you're going into the promised land. But there were still battles to be fought at the promised land. For Jesus, baptism was a positive symbol. For those that were being baptized, it was an obedient symbol of, of repenting of their sins under the preaching of John the Baptist. But for Jesus, it was saying, I'm embracing the will of God. He is not seeking salvation for himself. 
He is not fleeing the wrath to come that John the Baptist was preaching about. He's presented himself as the Son of God. He's presenting himself as the servant that will be sacrificed. And when we read these passages of Scripture, we've got to be able to see what's going on here. Later in Mark chapter 10 and verse 38, Jesus will say, Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Now, that's an important passage to connect with this passage tonight. Circle that phrase, I must be baptized. I must be baptized. There is a key component right there. The second thing that happens is the heavens are split apart. The opening of heaven is usually a sign that God is about to speak or to act. But in this passage, Mark doesn't use the word open. He uses the word torn. He uses the word torn apart, ripped open. This is a totally different word than what you're normally associated with. Jesus came up out of the water. He saw the heavens splitting apart. What has been closed is now opened. What has been shut is now torn open. And like anything else, if I was to rip this shirt, if I was to rip my pants tonight, if we were to rip a curtains in your house, you might could patch it, but it's never the same. We, my children and I watched a funny, does anybody like Mr. Bean in here tonight? We're watching Mr. Man versus Bee about Mr. Bean, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but you'll see the patchwork and how it didn't work. The heavens are torn. It's not that they're opened and the doors are closed again. It's something has happened. When Jesus comes out of the water, all of heaven breaks loose. You thought I was going to say all of hell broke loose. All of heaven broke loose, and love is spilling out of heaven. The angel voices are being heard. The voice of God himself is heard because God is coming to us. Listen to what Isaiah said in chapter 64 and verse 1. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down, how the mountains would quake in your presence. This is what's happening right now. This prophecy is being fulfilled. Heaven is torn open. God has come down in Christ to you and I. And number three, the Holy Spirit descends. For Isaiah had also prophesied that the, that the Messiah would possess the Spirit of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I still remember how old I was the first time I ever heard this message preached. I hadn't committed my life to Christ yet, but there was something about this passage and hearing how Pastor Edgar Bethany tied that all together about the Messiah, that it started a work in my own heart that God himself came down upon Christ, the God-man, fully God, fully man, and that Christ possessed all of these. I remember that message for more than one reason. It was an eternal message. It was a long, long message. But even as a child, I started taking, I shouldn't say as a 14-year-old, I was a child, but I started taking notes that night. I've been taking notes ever since. You see, the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. 
I plead for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon my preaching. I plead for the Holy Spirit's anointing upon my, my witness. I, when I go into a meeting, I pray, Holy Spirit, go with me. Help me to, to see things that I wouldn't normally see. Help me to discern things I wouldn't normally discern. I hope that you do the same thing. I, I pray, God, give me a right word. There's an old story familiar among preachers about a pastor that had preached a good sermon that morning, and as he was being greeted by his parishioners after the service, one lady looked at him and said, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. And he said to her, oh, I have to give credit to the Holy Spirit. And she goes, oh, Pastor, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? It's a story to remind us, you know, that we need to be careful about what we attribute to God. So I don't go around saying, God told me to tell you this. I don't even come to the pulpit often. Sometimes I may say, I really feel the Lord wants me to say this, but you have to judge that. You've heard me say that a number of times. Uh, Mark Lowry, how many of you know who Mark Lowry is? You know, just great comedian, great singer. Mark Lowry says that people come to him sometime and says, would you please read this song? God gave it to me, and I really think it's powerful, and I think God could really use it. And he says, I read the song, and he says, I have to fight everything within me because I think what God is saying, the reason is I gave it to you is as I don't want it. We need to be careful about what we say. God said or God told, but the Spirit of God comes down on him like a dove. It's no secret that I'm not the most trustful of sometimes some of the extremes that I hear about or read about. It's interesting to me that when the Spirit of God came down upon Jesus like a dove, he didn't come down upon him like an eagle, grasping, take him away. He didn't come down upon him like a hawk, violently. He didn't come down on him like a falcon, violently. But he hovered gently over him like a dove. And it reminds me of Genesis in the first chapter and verse 2, where the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos and over the waters of the deep, quietly hovering. The Bible says the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. That word hovering is incubating. God incubating that crisis. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Now, a man who's a good friend of mine said one time to me when I said that, he goes, oh, you got to be afraid of God. I go, well, of course. If I disobeyed, I was afraid of my daddy. <laughs> okay? God is awesome and God is terrible, but God is love. And when the Spirit of God is dealing with His people, He comes down upon them like a dove. And what's going to happen is when the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, this, this anointing of the Holy Spirit is the earth is going to be liberated from the chaos that sin has brought into it. The earth is going to be liberated from the violence and the destruction in the hearts of people who yield to Christ. I had a conversation with one of our community leaders this week and participated in a grand opening of one of our biz new businesses here in town. And he walked over to me and we were talking and he began to ask me, he says, Pastor, why do people treat each other so violently? Why do people do such awful things to one another? We began talking about something that had happened. And finally, I looked at him and I says, you know, just at the risk, I know that you know what I believe but sin is the source of all of that. 
Sin is the source of all of that. And here's what you need to know. I am capable of the greatest evil. I am capable of the greatest violence. I am capable of the greatest sins. I called him by name and I said, occasionally I will tell my congregation, the pulpit makes me appear holier than what I really am. If you could sin in my heart, you would probably be so ashamed of me because we all battle sin every day. And I'll never forget, he looked at me, he says, Pastor, that is so good. And the reason is not that it's good, that it's good. It's good that we recognize the only cure for sin is Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon our life, He's going to liberate us from this chaos. He's going to liberate us from this violence that came into our world as a result of sin. When Jesus comes into your heart and the Holy Spirit hovers over your heart, your heart is no longer a chaotic void. It is filled with the Spirit of the Lord and God transforms you and you become a brand new creation in Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Somebody say amen tonight. Fourthly, there's a voice from heaven that's heard this evening. A voice from heaven. And I think the reason you hear the voice is several reasons. Number one, God delights in His Son. God delights in Jesus. There's a psalm, and I can't remember which one it says, and it just came to mind when I said that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I really believe that. You delight yourself in the, heart, in the Lord, and God will begin to give you the right desires, godly desires, pure desires. But when you see God saying in this voice from heaven, this is my son, this is my son, you're going back to Abraham and Isaac, where God says to Abraham, take your only son whom you love. This is my son whom I love. Going back to Abraham and Isaac, where you hear God saying, take your only son Isaac whom you love and sacrifice him. And there, you know the story of how God stops Abraham, provides a sacrifice, but it's a pro prophetic foretelling for us that God is going to give his own son as the Lamb of God for your sins and my sins. And here's the horrible part of the story. Gentiles will mock him. Gentiles will crucify him. The Jews will taunt him and say to him, so you're a king. If you're, a, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. But what they don't know is that when Jesus ascends that cross, he is ascending his throne. And he says to you and I, take up your cross and follow me. Look at Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. That's not just about the Jewish people. It's about the Son of God, descendant of Abraham, Jesus, that whole lineage. Now, it's important. Let me say it again. Mark doesn't provide this lineage the way that Matthew and Luke do. But the Jewish people and those early Roman Christians, they would have understood all of this. Fifthly now, there's going to be some more supernatural stuff happening. The testing in the wilderness. We read just a few minutes ago, this spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. I get really sweet letters after the pastors baptize people here at the church. Matter of fact, I've got a baptism for someone else that I'm doing in just a few days here. And um, they're going to, there's going to be a party afterwards. There's going to be several things going on at this baptism that I'm doing. People usually tell me, you know, after my baptism, I just, I felt so good. I felt so warm. Something happened in my, it's that first public profession of faith. It's obedience. 
But for Jesus, after his baptism, it wasn't a time of bliss. He heard the voice of his Father, and then the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. You see, the wilderness is not a place that you really want to be. When you read about the wilderness in the Bible, it's not a pleasant place to be. The Spirit drives him there, and for 40 days, he's going to fast. His flesh is going to suffer. And I write out to the side of my study Bible, Holy Spirit, aren't you supposed to protect us? Aren't you supposed to comfort us? Aren't you supposed to shield us from these things? And yes, we are protected and we're shielded, but we need to understand why we're protected and shielded. Because Christ went ahead of us and suffered for us. Mark wants us to know that there is a battle that only Jesus can fight. There is a war that is going on that only Jesus can win. And he's going to fight this battle. He's going to win this battle in the wilderness. But it's not the end of the war. That won't come until the resurrection. But as he presents this battle, the enemy, now listen, this is important. The enemy is trying to do to Jesus what he did to Adam and Eve. Convince them, convince him like he convinced them, there's another way. Hath God said, there's another way. And Jesus stays loyal and Jesus stays true to what he's called to do. Now, I don't know where and when the enemy came. That's not a question the Bible answers for us. But I just know this. I've been to where they say the wilderness is, the valley of temptation. Trust me, forget about your national parks posters that show you lust forest, waterfalls, antelope playing, buffalo roaming. This is not the wilderness that's in mind where, Bob, you like to go camp and hunt and fish and spend the night with your dog. This is a barren, desolate land. This is the kind of place that, that Israel was, was, had to wander for 40 years because of their disobedience. But there's a reason that Mark says the animals. Roman Christians are going to be thrown to these wild animals. And Jesus is not out here with wild animals playing and talking with Mr. Beaver like you would in Narnia. He's not out there talking with unicorns. But there are wild beasts out there. And remember, Adam began his life with God in a garden. The second Adam after his baptism meets God in the wilderness. Adam names the animals that comes to him and plays with them and welcomes them, enjoys them. Jesus is out there with wild beasts that if they could would tear him apart. Jesus is alone where Adam had God and had had Eve and, uh, and, and whatever else that was there for him, Jesus was without even the basics of food and water. So this is not the garden experience. Jesus has fully entered into what sin has brought upon us. Privation, lack, suffering, and violence. But in the wilderness, Jesus connects with God. In the wilderness, Jesus memorized and quotes the scriptures to himself. 
In the wilderness, Jesus says no to the temptations. So how much more should you and I, in the comforts of life that God has provided, how much more should you and I connect with God and connect with one another? How much should you and I be able to be, see ourselves as stewards of the planet that God has given us to live upon? He meditated, he fasted, he suffered. I have been struggling. My doctor recently told me, he says, I want you to cut down to two cups of coffee a day. <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> I have managed to get down to three cups of coffee a day. Three, yeah, I've just told somebody on the phone that called me and asked me how I was doing. I said, I'm thinking about buying one of those German beer steins and saying, this is cup one, <laughs> and then I'll have cup two. Becky prevents me from doing that. But you know what I've learned? If you can say no to a cup of coffee, you can say no to anything. <laughs> Seriously, when you love coffee as much as I do, if you can say no to a cup of coffee, you can say no to sleeping in on Sunday morning and get up and come to church. If you can say no to a cup of coffee, you can say no to the temptations of this life. Look at Genesis 2.19. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he called them. And the man chose a name for each one. I think what you have to see here is the dramatic difference between the first Adam and the second Adam. Remember, that's how Paul refers to Christ, is the second Adam. The first Adam is forced out of paradise to toil in the wilderness. The second Adam conquers in the wilderness so that you and I can be welcomed into paradise. Can we say amen to that? That's a powerful thought. That's what's going on right here. It also points to a day where Jesus dwelling with those wild beasts. And, you know, how do you survive 40 days? You're weakened. There are animals out there at that time that would kill you. I don't know if they recognized him. I don't know if they were smarter than us. But it does make me think of another prophecy. Look with me at this next passage of Scripture. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. And nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Isn't that powerful? Becky and I have a wood etching of this prophecy painted or sketched out in our home that is so powerful. Let me just point out one other thing. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, he went into the wilderness. When Israel was delivered from the wilderness, they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. And because of their sin, they had been cast out of the promised land in the diaspora. They're brought back, and there Jesus dies all so that you and I can enjoy this spirit-filled life that we have. Number six, Jesus defeats Satan. And the rest of the gospel is all about the release of the captives. That's why there's going to be so, so many miracles. Because we're not living under the shadow of Adam. 
we're living in the light of Jesus Christ. We're not living in the darkness that Adam and Eve brought with their sin upon this world. We're living and radiating with the life of Christ who says, I am the light of the world. Those that live in me will not walk in darkness. We're living with power over temptation. We're saying no to that cup of coffee because Jesus conquered. And even though, even though Mark doesn't go through this, let me do this real quick. And there's a reason Mark's not going through all of it, but he, you know the three temptations. When Jesus said no over turning stones to bread, he's saying, I can wait on God's timing. That's nothing that any of us like to do in America. We have fast food. We have fast cars. You know, we have drive-through services in some churches because people want fast services. The thing you have to understand is God wants us to learn to wait. Sometimes people tell me it was because I was hungry. You know, sex is a drive that has to be set. I'm thinking of a group of parents I sat with that were not Christians and asked me, how do we protect our children from being involved in, 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 in sex, in premarital sex? And how do we teach them? They're not believers. And so I'm sharing with them the gospel. And I remember one mother looking at me and says, do you expect me to really tell my children that? And I go, yes, this is truth. Everything else you're saying is not true. You've asked me to talk to you because you know I believe in God. What do you believe in? And there was total dead silence. You see, the need we have for security, it's easier to keep your tithe to think you can make yourself secure by putting that 10% in your 401k or in your retirement fund. But security is trusting God and obeying God's word and putting God first in your finances, knowing that he will take care of you. All of us want to have a certain amount of popularity, not that we want fame, but all of us want to be liked and respected, but we don't have to compromise to have that. There's something about living a life of integrity that will make you well-liked. You see, at the heart of it all is not because I'm a good man. This is what I was telling our community leader this week. It's not because I'm a good man. It's because Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. That's what the Bible says. And then people look at me and say, where does it say that at? And so I'll post it on Facebook and send it to them. You may have seen that on my page this week where I posted that. Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. I love reading about President Eisenhower. I have several books about him. My father-in-law grew up in an orphanage right down the street from where he liked to play golf at in Colorado Springs. And... Of course, I know all the stories about the Eisenhower tree at the Masters, but one of my favorite stories about President Eisenhower was after he died, one of his best friends was interviewed and said, did, did, did Ike ever cheat playing golf? He goes, no. If he hit it in the sand, if he hit it in the trees, if he hit it in the brush, he said, Ike never cheated. He never moved his ball. He never asked. He always played it where it lay. He always played it where it lay. I can't say that. <laughs> I've kicked them out. I've dropped out. But when it comes to life and integrity, that's a good way to live your life. Play it where it lays and lay it all upon Jesus. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And while he was there, 
wild angels, and excuse me, wild animals, wild angels. <laughs> While he was with them, wild animals and angels were ministering to him. I need to close this tonight, but if you will skip down, A is from the face of God to face the devil. If you'll look at the three letters, you see in Jesus' life character. You see in his life creativity. I'd like to know how Jesus survived 40 days in the wilderness. Where did he sleep? I asked that question when I was there. Where do you think he slept? We don't know. How did he survive without water? He's fully man. We don't know. It's a hot place. What did he do for four? Jesus had to be very creative. We know he didn't rely upon his own power, but we also know that he was in communion. And the fact that the angels ministered to him says something to me tonight. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that angels are heavenly servants sent to help you and I. You can count on heaven's help when you're being tested and when you're being tried. So let's wrap it up like this. Jesus' victory is my victory. Jesus' victory is our victory. Read this out loud with me, Galatians 2.20. I believe it's in your outline. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Martin Luther said this, Well, when he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks who lives here, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he has moved out, and now I live here. Is that in your outline? You've got to keep that. It is in your outline. Great. Martin Luther used to live here, but he has moved out, and now I live here. When I was a, in my 20s, Dallas Holm wrote a song and it was one of the most powerful. Do, do any of you know who Dallas Holm is? Some of you do. He knew me then. He knows me now. And he loves me just the same. Say that with me. He knew me then. He knows me now. He loves me just the same. God doesn't love you any more since you were Christian than what he did before you were Christian. You have no idea how much God loves you. And I hope that you'll receive this word tonight. It's a message that Christ is for you, not against you, that God is for you, not against you. And if you've never given your heart to Christ, that you will turn your heart over him, to him this evening. And I hope you'll come join us here at Woodland Church real soon to worship with us. God bless you. Good night. Let me pray with you. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for this exciting book, the Gospel of Mark. And I pray that tonight, if there's anyone watching that has never given their heart to Christ, if they're watching later, that they will cross the line, putting their heart, their faith, and their trust in your hands. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.